We hope you enjoyed the message. If you'd like to watch a service live online, you can join us every Sunday at 10 a.m. at live.faith.church. For everything else, visit faith.church. That's faith.church. My name is Jim Marsh. I'm one of the pastors here at Faith. Uh, I get the privilege of uh, speaking with you today and sharing the Word of God. God is good to us. We, uh, we are excited to announce this this week that Faith Church will be hosting an incredible kids event called Summer Blast for uh, grades one through five. Summer Blast is a fun, Jesus-centered experience for kids with lots of games and music and crafts and snacks. And even better, let's watch a quick video to see what they did last year to find out what they're gonna do this year. Okay, who doesn't want to go to that? <laughs> That'd be great. So tomorrow, it starts on Tuesday. Tomorrow, June 26th is the last day to sign up. So don't let your kids miss out on this. Register, use the scan the QR code, go on screen or go to faith.church slash kids. You'll be able to register for that. It'd be great. Also, we'd like to extend to you the opportunity to serve in this ministry. If you have a heart for children, if you want to see kids Come to know Jesus that will last a lifetime. This is a place for you. If you'd like to do that as well, we'd like to invite you to consider that. Uh, speak with Desiree Cespedes. She's our director of children's ministry. Or you can uh, at Desiree.Cespedes at faith.church. Or you can talk with one of them at the register, both the register kids counters uh, out here. And it'd be a great place for you to serve. All right. First of all, I want to say thank you. Welcome to our online church. Um, our online church, I don't know if you all know this, but it's, it's hosted by Pastor Michael Cespedes and his trusty sidekick, Rosie. So say hello to everybody online. Give them a hand clap. We appreciate you all. I'm glad you show up every week. We certainly appreciate uh, the ministry that Michael and, and Rosie have been able to do for them and, and for us as a church. You know, Faith Church exists for three reasons. It's one of the things we talk about all the time in our staff meetings and in our ministry team. We're here to see the lost saved. Those who don't know Jesus come to know Jesus. That is our primary reason for existence. We're also here, though, to equip those who know Jesus for the work of the ministry that God has called. So our job, our role as ministers of the gospel is to help you find your place equip you with the gifts and callings and talents that God has put in your life so that you can effectively minister and represent Jesus to the world that you live in. That's our job. That's our call. And then at the same time, for all of us, we get to experience the presence of Jesus in that. And what a great thing, right? To experience like, like we just did during our worship. The Spirit of the Lord is here. He's present. And though you may not be able to tag what that feels like or, the, or use words to describe it, it's kind of one of those things that's like ice cream. You know that you know that you just had something good. <laughs> you know, it's great. 
So today, as I was praying about and asking the Lord, what kind of life-giving word would he have for us? What kind of equipment do we need as believers? I had the sense that the Lord wants, two, wants, wants to fix and focus on two points. The first is that Jesus' victory at the cross over sin, sickness, and death has ushered us into the family of God as sons and daughters, and therefore we get to live our lives in victory, not victimhood. Jesus was not a victim. Amen? Amen. Jesus was never a victim. The world likes to think of Jesus as a victim. They like to portray Jesus as a wuss. They portray him in these movies and stuff like that, except for The Chosen. That's been pretty good. But some of the movies are like Jesus is looking in the distance and he goes, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of God. (laughs) Jesus was not a wuss. Jesus was a powerful man of God. He was a powerful man. He knew why he was here, for what purpose, on purpose, for a reason, for a purpose. And that is the same way we get to live our lives, on purpose, for a purpose. So Jesus was never a wuss. We're going to talk about him not being a victim. We're going to talk about us not being victims. We are not victims. Amen? You are not a victim. Yes, you've gone through stuff, but you are not. Everybody said, I am not a victim. Amen. That's right. And the second point we're going to talk about is that in order to obtain the victory that Jesus has secured for us at the cross, he's given us weapons to combat our enemies. And the apostle Paul spent his entire life equipping believers to take the ground for Jesus that Jesus had declaimed when he stood on on Mount Bashan in, in Caesarea Philippi, remember that? There's a part in there where Jesus said to Peter, he's on a mountain, Mount Bashan. That's the, that's the wilderness place. It's, it was called the, the gates of hell were there. There's a mountain there called the gates of hell. He said to Peter, who do men say that I am? And Peter ended up declaring that you are the Christ, the Holy One of God. He said to you, flesh and blood has not revealed that unto you, but my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. And the, the gospel of Je- the church of Jesus Christ will, the gates of hell will not prevail against this word, this rock that, of revelation of Jesus. Jesus was provoking the devil at this place. He was declaring to the devil, to the gates of hell, you will not prevail. Kind of like that time in, in, in Lord of the Rings where Gandalf has that big spear. He goes, this shall not pass. Gates you will not Hold. That's what Jesus is saying. The gates of hell will not prevail against the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gates, this is not a defensive position that we have. This is an offensive weapon. We are going to assault the gates of hell, and the gates of hell are going to break open, and all of those captives that are in there are going to be set free by the blood and the name of Jesus. And all of you that name the name of Jesus are are, are fruits of that. And it is your job and your call in life to go around and tell others what you have received from Jesus. You're not responsible for all of the theological things you don't know, but you are responsible for the testimony that you have. Jesus in you, the hope of glory. God Almighty has set you free. And Paul then declares the weapons that God has given us to go and take the ground that God would have you take. So our first first point is that Jesus at the cross gained victory over sin, over sickness, over death, and he ushered us into the family of God as adopted sons and daughters, and therefore we can live our life in a life of victory. Amen? Amen? 
You are a son. You are a daughter of God. You belong to the family of God. You were once not part of the family of God. John in his gospel said, to those who received Jesus, who believed on him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. If you believe that Jesus is God, the Son of God, raise your hand. That means you're all members of the family. Give yourself a hand clap. I like to talk about family membership is a very intimate thing, right? Because there's, there's family memberships and there's friendships, right? So you know that you're part of the family if you have refrigerator rights. You know you're a friend if you don't have refrigerator rights. Most of y'all come to my house, stay out of my refrigerator. I don't know you well enough yet. But after a while, you get to know one another. You get to be friendly with one another. You got people coming over. You kind of become a family, a little bit of extended family. Then you got refrigerator rights. You can go right in the refrigerator, open that sucker up and take a look at what's good. And unless it's for dinner tonight, you can have something. That's family membership. Jesus has adopted you by his blood into the family of God and he has granted you refrigerator rights. You have access to all of the fruits and all of the life-giving love that Jesus has to offer to you because you are a family member of Jesus. You are a brother or sister of Jesus, amen? Amen. We want to learn to walk in that and to act like that, not out of arrogance and not out of pride that I'm better than everybody else because you're not, we're not, but you are so loved that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, and I'm getting ahead of my notes. But... You, God brought you into the family. You are a member of the family of God. Jesus was not a victim. Jesus said, no one takes my life. I lay it down and I will take it up again. While he provoked the devil to kill him on Mount Bashan at Caesarea Philippi, Paul also declares that if the devil had known what was going to happen when, that, when Jesus died, he wouldn't have killed him. So Jesus knew that it was important for him to provoke the devil and make him so mad. I'm going to kill you. And he set on a plan to have Jesus killed. And Jesus willingly and willfully went to the cross and became the sin, the perfect sacrifice that was necessary for our forgiveness and then rose from the dead so that we can walk in that newness of life. And therefore, you are now sons and daughters of God. And the devil went, oh, not going to say it. Hi, what did I do? He messed up. Yes, he did. Because in Jesus, we have victory. It says in Romans 8, 37, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. It also says in Romans 5, starting in verse 6, it says, you see, at just the right time when we were still sinners or powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. All of us. For at one time, at one point, all of us were ungodly and powerless to conquer the sin and the depravity of our lives. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When did Jesus die for you? When you were a sinner. What had you done to deserve that? Nothing. What did any of us do to deserve that? Nothing. So, side note, while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you because he loved you. It goes on to say, how how much more, so since while we were sinners, Christ died for us, and since we have now been justified by his blood, 
How much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Now that you were there and now that you are here, how much more? How much more? For if we were God's enemies, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him or made right with him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? How much more that now you have refrigerator rights that you get to come in and dine with Jesus? You get to have lunch, you have to have dinner, you get to have breakfast, you get to have dessert. Sometimes it says life is short, eat dessert first. You get to hang with Jesus. How much more? He took you from this darkness and put you into his marvelous light. And therefore, we have victory over all the works of the devil, over all the deeds of darkness, because of what Jesus, he has translated us from one place to another place by his blood. Now, we'll do well to recognize the principle of what's called the now and not yet. While it is settled in the spirit world and the word of God that we are more than conquerors, how many of it, don't raise your hand at this, but how many of you say your experience just doesn't quite match up to that? Keep your hands down. No, no, no. Because that's the now and not yet. Positionally with Christ, you are saved, you are sanctified, you are holy, you are set free, you're redeemed, you're cleansed, fully acceptable, holy, loved completely. Our experience, though, is that we don't feel like we're there yet. We haven't gained all of that ground and all of that victory yet. And all of you are on a journey who have named the name of Jesus to, a, 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 to, to gain that ground. And think back on your life with Jesus, those who have walked with, you, with Jesus for more than six days. Think of the victories that you're beginning to receive or you have received from Jesus. And then listen to that voice We'll talk about that voice in a moment that says, yeah, but that's the voice we're going to silence. But listen to the understanding that the yet, the now and not yet. And because of this principle, we have been given tools to implement in order to bring us from the now, not yet to the now. And that's the weapons that Paul talked about, which is our second point. That in order to obtain the victory Jesus secured for us at the cross, God has given us weapons to utilize, to sharpen, to hone, to exercise, to become familiar with, and to then to put into play. 2 Corinthians 10 verses 3 through 5 says that, that though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Much of our struggles that we deal with originate in our thought life. Much of the battles that we wage against the enemies of God are the things that we think about, the things that we meditate on, the things that come our way that accuse us of wrongdoing, of not measuring up, of trying to move us to performance Christianity, performance religiosity. Let's be said that different. Religious, performance religiosity because there really isn't, I don't think, a thing called performance Christianity. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. It is a gift of God. It is not of the works of man. 
So if you've been saved by grace through faith, how are you going to stick with Jesus? How about this? How about by grace through faith in Christ Jesus? God does not require you, now that you've been saved, earn this. I lived my life that way, most of my life. Most of my Christian life, I've, by God's grace, I've been walking with Jesus now for 47 years, thankfully. But much of my life has been centered around performance of earning that which I was given to freely. And God has delivered me from that demonic yuck because it is not by grace that I maintain my relationship with Jesus, not by works that I maintain my relationship with Jesus. It's by grace, by his graceful mercy, staying with me and not abandoning me in my yuckness, in my immaturity, in my foolishness, because he knows my frame. He knows your frame. Jesus said, I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. I am with you always, even until the end of the age. So what we want to do is learn to believe what the scriptures really say. Do we believe the word? Really? Well, let's find a tool. Let's implement this tool to make that happen. For the Bible says that as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. That's in Proverbs 20, 23. So as we meditate on things and we think on things, those meditations, those thoughts help uh, influence our behavior. And what we want to do is we want to remove those things that are demonic, remove those things that are death, and move them into things that are life. Amen? So, the weapons that we employ in this battle, they are first of all, mighty in God. Do you think if God gave you a tool that it's gonna work? You think he ever gave you a broken tool or a used tool or a tool that's not up to date? The tools that God gives us, they are mighty in God. The tools and the weapons that God has given us to overcome the enemy are first and foremost his word. The word of God, the Bible, that is an important tool to implement, to read, to chew on, to think about, to study, to spend time in. For when you study and spend time in the word of God, the Holy Spirit quickens things to you. He directs your steps. He gives revelation. He brings healing. He brings life to you about, wow. How many times have you read something in the scriptures like for 45 times and then the 47th time it's like, whoo, I never saw that. That's the Holy Spirit. That's God growing you and thriving with you in his, in his word. So the weapons that we have is the word, the blood of Jesus. Mark spoke about that earlier. We overcome Satan by the blood of the lamb, by the word of our testimony. Our testimony is a weapon. Your testimony is a weapon to gain victory over the enemy. Think about where you came from before Jesus. Think about what happened. Think about the circumstances surrounding that. Don't grovel in the grossness of it because it probably was really tough. It might have been emotionally tough, physically tough, relationally tough, but it was hard because none of us come to Jesus. Well, that's not true. Most of us don't come to Jesus in a... We come to Jesus because it's hard and I need something. And the mercy of God is extended towards us and we go, oh. I remember praying for a guy one time, he met to Jesus and gave his life to Jesus and we were in a little Bible study and, and 20 minutes later he was sitting, standing in our, I'll never forget it, he was standing in our kitchen 
leaning against the, the dishwasher, kind of had a little island and he was leaning against the dishwasher. And he was going like this. He said, is it going to stop? Or is it always going to be like this? Because he got saved. He got forgiven. He got redeemed by Jesus. And he was totally changed in a moment, in a twinkle of an eye, in an instant. Every, a lot of things changed for him. And think on your testimony. Where did you come from? What did God do for you? What mercy did he extend to you? Think about that. Write it out. Meditate on that and rehearse it so that you then can turn around and give that testimony to other people that your life will encounter. For it says in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, that we minister to those with which the same ministry we receive from God. In other words, your journey, your story is important for someone else because God in his sovereign grace and magnificent mercy will introduce you to other people walking through those same things. And you'll be able to look them in the eye and they'll say things like, you don't understand. And you go, oh. Let me tell you, I understand. Some of you have been to war, real war. Some of you have walked through incredible family disasters. Some of us have walked through poverty. Some of us have walked through incredible illnesses. Some of us have walked through significant rejections. And other people walk through those same things. So when you have an opportunity to minister the gospel of Jesus, the good news that Jesus has overcome the world, you'll be able to say, I understand, I get it. I understand how you feel about that. It's real, that experience is real. We're not gonna diminish it. We're not gonna cover it over and pretend, well, that's okay. No, it wasn't okay. What was okay about it is that Jesus stepped in and made a difference. He healed you, he redeemed you. He set you on a path of freedom. Jesus declared that God has brought him to set the captives free to declare liberty, to bring healing, to bring life. He said, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. And that's what Jesus has for every one of us. And so that's one of the weapons that is mighty in God, our testimony, prayer, supplication, thanksgiving. If you want to learn how to overcome a lot of the issues or the difficulties or the trials of life, begin with thanksgiving. There's a group of uh, uh, theologians that I read. They're called neurotheologians. They study the brain, actually the chemical of the brain. And if, I'm sorry if many of you have heard this over and over again because I tell this to everybody all the time. <laughs> but the way the, work, the, the, the brain works, the, from the back of your spinal cord to your prefrontal cortex, um, emotions run at, three, at five megahertz per second. <laughs> so shame, fear, guilt, anger, distrust, disgust, they, 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 they go from five megahertz per second to motivate us in action. And until the late 1990s, scientists thought that those five big emotions, shame, fear, anger, disgust, hate, those motivated humans. Until in the late 90s, they found another one that was, that was me measured at six megahertz per second, which is like the difference between going um, zero to 60 in, in 30 seconds and zero to 60 in five. Joy. Joy. God has created our bodies to process joy faster than anything. 
And if we will, and we, we know how to feed joy. You feed joy by declaring gratitude and thanksgiving. What are you grateful for? I'm grateful for a lot of things. I'm grateful that my wife still loves me. I'm grateful that she still lives with me because I've been living with me too. I'm grateful that I get to eat. I'm grateful for my grandchildren. I'm grateful that I'm still with Jesus. I'm grateful that I'm understanding that Jesus loves me and it's not performance. I'm grateful. So if you will speak out what you're grateful for, it actually has a chemical reaction in your brain and they have seen and, and been able to monitor those that have had significant brain trauma, PTS trauma, war um, challenges, traumas of all sorts of different times, when they begin to express gratitude over a period of time, the gray matter that had gotten darkened and had made their brain patterns geared to fear or to geared to anger begins to soften and it becomes like white brain matter. Dark gray matter heals into white gray matter. That's Jesus. God made that happen. So if you're in a dark place or you're going through a dark time, implement the weapon of thanksgiving and just declare what you, and even if it's just thankful for breakfast or coffee or dessert, you could just declare what you're thankful for. That has a chemical reaction in our brains to transfer us from darkness to light. So our weapons are mighty in God. They are also there to pull down strongholds. Strongholds are thoughts and actions that we take that are, not are, that are not supported by biblical principles or solid Christian doctrine or faith. They're the actions that are often supported by human wisdom or carnal weaknesses. Strongholds are things that we allow in our lives to say, this is the way it's gonna be. It's always gonna be like this way. It's never gonna change. That's the way my mama was. That's the way my papa was. That's the way my grandpappy was. That's the way my great-grandpappy was. It's never gonna get different because that's what we are. We are that. No, not in Jesus. In the world, yes, but no. And so we want to recognize those patterns of thinking that have come down from the ages and or were modeled to you as you were being reared by your parents or your experience in life, those things that continue to hurt and destroy and negate God's word or confuse its application. No, but we have the ability with the word of God, with the weapons of the Holy Spirit to pull down those strongholds. We can say to that stronghold, no more. You are done. I am ripping out your foundation of my life. I am going to put in a new foundation and build up a different lifetime. We're going to cast down our arguments, which are also translated as imaginations. Paying attention to the arguments we hear in our heads that are opposed to the truth of God's word or character, and then taking intentional actions to pull them down or out of our thinking. You know, too often, we let thoughts come into our head that rattle around in our head and give us, that make us feel really bad or make us feel condemned. We are therefore, there is now, therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. What's the difference between condemnation and conviction? Condemnation is this vague smog that's around our head that says things like, you'll never measure up. You aren't good enough. What you did will trail with you forever. There is really no forgiveness for you. God maybe kind of loves you kinda, but not really likes you very much. And then you say, well, why? Well, it's because of 
because. What do you mean because? Well, it, you know, it's it's cause. Cause what? Well, kind of cause. That's condemnation. Because you can never stick your finger on it or, or grab a hold of it and say, well, this is what it is. That's condemnation. Conviction is you stole that five bucks from your wife's purse and you went to Starbucks with it. Go, now, I didn't do that. But go tell her. And you go, oh, I don't want to. Oh, but I do I need to. And she goes, where's that $5? It's at Starbucks. But you know what to do. And then she says, okay, I forgive you. She kind of walks around, right? But conviction is specific, but it's life-giving. You know what to do about what God has said to you. Yes, it might stab a little, but there's a way to life. There's a way to freedom. There's a way to forgiveness. There's a way to restoration of relationship. Condemnation is this vagueness of that you're just bad and you're just going to always be bad because you kind of started out that way. So we want to say no. We want to cast down those thoughts in the name of Jesus. And we also want to grab every high thing that exalts itself above the knowledge of God. Recognizing that often our thoughts are, yes, but... Yes, but you. And we want to bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Employing intentional, faith-filled actions to identify the lies of the enemy that invade and influence us to not only question God, but also to question his character. Think about some of the things that you hear in your head about you, about your circumstance, about your life. And then ask the question, would Jesus talk to me like that? Would God say that to me? Would he who loves you from the foundation of the earth, who died for you before, while you were still a sinner, would he talk to you like that? Would he say those things to you? And I would venture to say the answer is no. God will never speak to us in condemning words. He will speak conviction because he wants us to walk in holiness and pureness, and he doesn't want to allow us to allow our sin to separate us from him, because that's what sin does. If we sin, we step away from God, but God never steps away from us, because God loves you. You were created in his image and likeness for purpose, on purpose, and God wants each one of us to walk in the freedom of that. And so, therefore, Paul has given us clarity on the weapons that we use to gain the victory that Jesus bought for us at the cross. I would dare say for I, myself in my lifetime, I have recognized that I have been living so far below what Jesus paid for. It's like, I don't know, Jesus wanting you to have a three-bedroom house with a, a bath and a, 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 a attached garage, and I'm living in a tent. I don't like tents. In fact, when I go camping, I consider camping as when you have to carry your own bags up the stairs. But <laughs> the rest of you like to sleep on the ground or some, like dirt in your pee, pee, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. <laughs> you know, I get to go down there where they have breakfast all set out, and you get to pick waffles or pancakes or oatmeal or... That's camping. 
Well, what Jesus wants for you is to live into the, the life that he's called you to live. Some of you, want, he wants you to have a three-bedroom house with a bath and a attached garage. And some of you, he wants you to have a 15-bedroom house and a house and a 14-bedroom. Could you imagine 15 bedrooms and all those bathrooms and whew, how much did it cost to clean all that, right? <laughs> well, if that's what God's call is for you, he'll help you clean it or he'll help you pay for it or whatever. He'll make it happen for you. Because each one of us have been called to a place in life and God wants you to step into that. And not comparison to someone else's call or someone else's step. You get to live the life that God's called you to live. And you get to live in victory. And so we want to recognize that these thoughts and ideas that continue to, to pound at us and cause us to doubt God or doubt his character, we, we have the weapons to take that thought captive and break its power in the name of Jesus and cast it down and say, no more. This will not pass. I will not stand for this. And we do this by implementing what Paul talked about in Romans, that he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Be metamorphosed. You were a caterpillar, but now you're a butterfly. Because you've been transformed, you've been changed from one thing to another thing by the blood of Jesus. And Paul would have us begin to think on things that are above and not on things that are below. Think on truth and not death. Think on life and not death. Don't dwell on the lies. Dwell on the truth of what God's Word says, who He says He is, what He's revealed to you. Remember the things that God has spoken to you. Rehearse your testimony, not only your salvation testimony, but your life testimony. As you've walked with God, what has he said to you throughout your life? If you haven't gotten it written down, let me encourage you, get a journal, get a three-ring binder, and begin to write those things. Ask the Holy Spirit, would you please remind me of what you said during my lifetime? And it is a tremendous gift to rehearse the mercies and goodness of God in your life. That you get to say, this he did, and this he did, and this he did. He took me from this, and he took from that. Sometimes someone will be really difficult, and he says some really difficult things to, to your life. One time he talked to me, I was going through a really cruddy th- time, and I, and, I, and I was crabbing about somebody that got it promoted, and I was, yeah, and God said, I gave him that position for my purpose. What is that to you? Well, it's envy. He says, yeah, that's what I call it too. (laughs) And I was forgiven. And I was able to walk out of that instead of sitting there condemning this guy and crabbing about him. Because he spoke a word of conviction and life to me. And he wants you free from those things that hinder and hurt. So let us not be conformed. Now, By testing, Paul is telling us that it is entirely acceptable and permission to have a conversation with God about what's going on. It's okay to say, I don't get it. Could you explain this a little further? I don't like what's going on here. Can you help me, please? Why am I going through this? (laughs) And sometimes he'll tell you and sometimes he won't. Job asks that a lot. Why, oh, why, oh, why, oh, why? 
And God's answer to him was something to the effect of, well, where were you when I created the world? And where were you when the lamb gave birth to the field? Where were you when the lion became out for? Where were you, old great man? Yeah, whoops. I almost sinned. But the Bible does say that in all this, Job did not sin against God. Because God trusted Job with that trial. Pastor Mark said that last week about some of the things that God is trusting you with, your trials, your difficulties. It's not because you sinned or God's mad at you or you're wrong. Some of us are walking through things for a reason that is bigger than we understand. But if you have given your life to Jesus, you are not walking alone. First and foremost, if you're walking with Jesus, the Spirit of God lives in you and dwells in you. You have access to the throne of God's grace because Jesus, it says in Hebrews, that though he, he has, we are not without someone who has empathy for us, for Jesus was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, we have access to the throne of God's grace that we may obtain help and find grace in our time of need. I don't understand. Someday we will. Maybe here, maybe there. But sometimes we're going to understand, and God is going to allow your circumstances to reflect the love and life and grace and power of Jesus because he trusts you as his ambassadors. He's called each one of us who've named the name of Jesus to represent him to the world that he's placed us in. And he's happy and proud to introduce you as his ambassador. He is not disappointed in you. He's not angry at us. He's not waiting, when will he finally get it? No, he says, I'll work with you. I'll live with you. I'll empower you. I'll strengthen you. My grace is sufficient for you as you walk through these times. And you then become a man or a woman of God that is strengthened in character and might. And you kind of go from here to kind of go from here to here. Not in arrogance, not in pride, but in gratitude and thanksgiving. And you lift up your hands and you say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father, that you have delivered me. Or thank you, Father, that you will deliver me. Or thank you, Father, that you will work with me while I wait for whatever it is you have for me. And we get to walk with God, what God is doing for us. So as we intentionally pursue a mind that meditates on God's word, on his character and actions in our lives, we're set up to participate in the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. Taking our thoughts captive, pulling down thought patterns that are filled with faithlessness, fear, casting down meditations and arguments that are contrary to God or his word or his character so that we can gain the victory over the enemies of Jesus and our own souls. And we can accomplish what Jesus has set us out to accomplish, which leads us to a believing, faithing, trusting life that we are able to walk through the different difficult seasons of life with an attitude of victory. Our faith, our trust. Faith is trust. Faith is confidence. Sometimes it'd be good if you read through the scriptures, remove the word faith, not catch me here, because faith has such religious connotations to it. But it can also be translated as trust or confidence. So like when the scripture says, now faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, it is also saying, now trust, confidence comes. And it comes by hearing the word of God. As you continue to walk in your journey with Jesus, you will receive 
a trust, a confidence by all that God does in your life, and you will become stronger and more mature and more confident in Jesus and in his word and his willingness to be your guide and be your help during your entire life. And when things really get tough, you'll be steady and rock solid. You may wave, you know, the wind might go, but you're not falling over because greater is he that is you than he that is in the world. Christ Jesus is our hope of glory. That doesn't mean, again, that we're not without trials. Jesus promised him. Thank you, Jesus. He said the things I've spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. The, the, especially for those who have been walking with Jesus for a season, you know you've experienced this tribulation. You've experienced these trials and these difficulties. And yet, where are you now? Pressing in, pursuing Jesus, worshiping God, reading his word, growing and maturing in Jesus. Good for you. Good for you. Jesus is up there as he's making intercession for us. So the father said, oh, father, look at my brother. Look at my sister. Look at what they're doing. They're doing great. They're doing fine. Help them, Jesus. Help them, Father. They need a lot of help. Because that's how he sees you. He does not see any of us in our defeat. But we hear these yeah, yeah words all the time. And those are the words we're going to break this stronghold. We're going to cast them down and we're going to reject them in the name of Jesus. And we're going to be confident that by God's grace and presence in our lives, we will achieve the purpose that God has given to us. So, one of the ways to do this is to rehearse the truths of the scriptures and our experience in standing with God. So, I'm going to read a few scriptures, try to get through it pretty quick. Just one chapter of the Bible, we're going to see some of the scriptures. Chapter 8 of Romans. Now, this is just one chapter. Hear what the Word of God says to you about you. There is therefore now no condemnation for you who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. You have no, you are not condemned. None of you who are walking in the Spirit are condemned, period, none. Romans 8, 11, if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through whose spirit who dwells in you. You have access to healing in your bodies because of him who dwells in you, Jesus, the Holy Spirit of God. Romans 8, 14, for as many as led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. The Spirit himself witnesses with our spirit. That's that inner knowing. Why do you think you have that? Because the Holy Spirit says, yes. Yes, you are a brother, a sister of Jesus. Yes, you are adopted in the family of God. Yes, you really do have refrigerator rights. Yes, you do. And you just kind of, your knower kind of says, yeah, I get that. I, know, I understand. I know. That's what the word says. Yeah, 
We know that all things, and this is the religious one people like to beat up when you're going through hard times, but it's still true. And we know that in all things, God works for good. For those who love him have been called according to his purpose. Why? Because for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son, that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brethren. You are in the process of being conformed into the very image and likeness of Jesus. Have you ever said, Jesus, I want to be just like you? And he says, yes, that's great. I want you to be just like me too. He never says, ah, you can't be like me. You're not going to measure up. You're not God. No. Yes, you get to be just like Jesus. You get to think like Jesus. Then you get to act like Jesus. You get to walk like Jesus. You get to talk like Jesus. And you get to represent Jesus to the world that he's placed you in. And he's happy to have you there. You are his ambassadors. He's happy to have you as his ambassadors. Romans 8, 31 says, then what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? God is for you. Everybody say that God is for me. God is for me. God is for me. Absolutely true. Absolutely yes. Absolutely yes. God is for you. Romans 8, 35 to 39 says, who shall separate us from the love of God, of the love of Christ? Who shall separate us? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution or famine, nakedness or peril, or the sword? Who will separate us from the love of Christ? All the difficulties you're walking through, all of your past sin, all of your past failures, all of your current failures, Will they separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus? No. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For Paul declares, I am persuaded. He's been persuaded. We can be persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is nothing that will separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. There is nothing that will separate. There is nothing, no thing will separate us, separate you from the love of God. Amen? Amen? That's a good thing. So, our first point was that Jesus' victory of the cross has given us victory over sin, sickness, and death, and he's ushered us into the family of God. He's granted us refrigerator rights. Food's a thing for me. But he's given us family membership. And we are brought into the family by grace, and we remain in the family by grace. You don't have to earn your position in the family. You don't have to deserve it. Now that you're in, you're in, and you're chosen, and you're the favorite. Now, I don't know how that works, but you're the favorite. I'm the favorite, you're the favorite, everybody's a favorite. That means nobody's a favorite. Uh-uh, not with God. You are the favored ones. God loves you. He's happy that you're here. He's happy that you've come in. And our second point is that in order to obtain the victory that Jesus has secured for us at the cross, he's given us weapons to implement. 
So let us implement those weapons so that God can gain the victory through us that he would have for our lives to gain and for the, our lives, that, 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 the lives that we touch. Now, a number of years ago, as I was working through this, the Holy Spirit gave me a prayer to pray, and so I'm going to read it. And here's what it says that, that the Lord gave me. He's, I say, I tell the Lord, Father, I thank you that though I walk in the flesh, I do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of my warfare are not carnal, for they are mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Therefore, in the name of Jesus, I renounce, reject, rebuke, and I cast down every thought, every imagination, every meditation that I've ever had or held or that has come my way that negates your word or confuses its application. In the name of Jesus, I break their power over me, through me, or in me. I pull down these strongholds in the name of Jesus. I declare that since I've been given the mind of Christ, I will not be conformed to this world, but I will be transformed by the renewing of my mind that I may prove was that good, acceptable, and perfect word of God. In the name of Jesus, I declare, Father, that the devil has no place in me, he has no power over me, he has no unsettled claims against me, for all has been settled by the blood of Jesus. I thank you that I overcome Satan by the blood of the Lamb and the word of my testimony. That prayer has been very helpful in my journey of victory. These are the words of life that God would have us to hear today. If you're yet to come into the family of Jesus, given your life to Jesus and said, Jesus, would you save me? Would you bring me into your family? I want to be your family. Let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes for a moment. Give the gospel a chance. If you're hearing these words and you think, well, I'm not in the family yet, and you want to be in the family of God, and you're hearing the tug of your heart, your heart might be pounding in your chest, just raise your hand. Simply raise up your hand and ask Jesus to come into your heart, come into your life. Give him your life. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. So, what I'd like to do, if you all would be willing, is to have you pray this with me. For those who'd like to pray this prayer, let's just stand to our feet, and we'll close with this. I think we'll put it back up on the screen, and I'll try to go slower, slowly. In fact, let me do it this way. Let me read a line, and then you pray a line through it behind it. How's that? Say, Father, I thank you, though I walk in the flesh, I do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of my warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Therefore, in the name of Jesus, I renounce, reject, rebuke, and cast down every thought, every imagination, every meditation that I've ever had or held or that has come my way that negates your word or confuses its application. 
in the name of Jesus, I break their power over me, through me, or in me. I pull down those strongholds in the name of Jesus. I declare that since I've been given the mind of Christ, I will not be conformed to this world, but I will be transformed by the renewing of my mind that I may prove what is good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. I repent from thinking thoughts that do not line up from your word in the name of Jesus. Father, I thank you that the devil has no place in me, no power over me, no unsettled claims against me. For all has been settled by the blood of Jesus. I thank you that I overcome Satan by the blood of the Lamb and the word of my testimony. In Jesus' name, we'll give the Lord a hand clap for your deliverance. As Pastor Jason has said frequently, it is a privilege and an honor to serve you all as pastors of this church. Thank you. Thank you for making our work really easy. Let me pray a blessing over you and you can be dismissed. Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. I thank you for their journeys. I thank you, Lord God, that each of them has demonstrated a stick to in Jesus through some really difficult times. And they reflect you well, Lord Jesus. They represent you well, Lord Jesus. Bless them, Lord God. Grant them a word of faith that they might overcome all the challenges that their circumstances have and grant them opportunities to declare the goodness and kindness of God to those that they meet and fill their lives with gratitude and thanksgiving that they may overcome all the powers of darkness. Bless them, O oh God, in Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, thank you. If you would like someone to pray with you, we have our prayer partners up front to pray with you, so God bless you. We hope you enjoyed the message. If you'd like to watch a service live online, you can join us every Sunday at 10 a.m. at live.faith.church. For everything else, visit faith.church. That's faith.church.